This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life. I see all the cities as personalities at a party. You cannot go and dictate to them how to operate. They have their own modus operandi. What you can take are a set of guiding principles that you could overlay. Hello and welcome to episode 372 of Business Live, Sheffield Live's weekly show for you, curious entrepreneur or social entrepreneur, with me, Jamie Veach. It is Friday. It is the 7th of October 2022 as this show is broadcast and we're talking about air quality, the business of air quality, the business of certifying standards of air quality and helping cities to meet those standards. Kate Barnard is our guest today, an engineer who took voluntary redundancy and then set up a business, Enjoy the Air, which is now working with cities, with local government, with other organisations to help them to demonstrate that they are meeting WHO air quality guidelines and if they're not help them to get there. Now that's in all our interests as she explains and she explains that if you want to encourage behaviour change then take a what's in it for me approach. She explains the psychology behind behaviour change, how she set up the business, what it's doing now and it's a distributed business with employees all over the world which Kate explains too. Before we talk with Kate, how things going for you? Thinking about regulation, we've been hearing about, about regulation quite a lot lately because of mooted plans to have a bonfire of regulations to get rid of EU red tape, as it has been described, and to set up zones of low regulation across the UK in the interests of growth. Growth, growth. No mention of sustainability. And it did remind me of a time a few years ago on this programme when someone came on the show and he said that his dream would be to get rid of burdensome red tape and regulation for business because there was simply too much. So I asked him exactly what red tape, exactly what regulations he'd like to get rid of. You know, what was so onerous for particular businesses? He, he was not running a business at the time. He was from a business organisation. And he couldn't name anything. He couldn't specify a single regulation. So I wondered, you know, was it health and safety legislation? No, he couldn't name anything. But he just said there was too much of it. And I think that's a little bit nonsensical, I'm afraid. Regulation per se isn't the problem. I mean... Just up the road from me, there's a there's a chemist, a great local business rooted in its local community here in Sheffield. So I can go in and I can buy some over-the-counter medicine or get a prescription. And thanks to regulations, I know that if I'm buying something that says it's a medicine, it is a medicine. And on the theme of medicine, not everyone can set themselves up as a doctor if they haven't got the appropriate qualifications but that goes into business as well your accountant who says they're a qualified accountant has to be a qualified accountant that's a regulation and thanks to regulation you can't employ child labor and you're not supposed to discharge chemicals or even effluent into the sea or the rivers i'd actually like to see that one being policed a bit more i'm sure you would and i talk with a lot of business owners and i've run a business myself with a million turnover business with 15 staff went through thick and thin ups and downs and ups and downs but ran it for 12 years regulation wasn't the issue in terms of 
the trials and tribulations of running a business. And many of the CEOs, many of the MDs, many of the business leaders that I speak with will talk, talk about the purpose of regulation, appropriate regulation, having fit for purpose and the right regulation. And the idea that we just want to burn, have a bonfire of all regulation seems, as I said earlier, nonsensical. And business businesses that care about quality, that care about fantastic customer service, that care about doing a really good job, that care about giving something back to their communities, that can care about competing on a global level, don't, again, this is my opinion and my impression, don't seem to want to enter into a race to the bottom where regulation is stripped away and people are competing on the basis of poor service, poor quality, poor regulations, poor supply chain, poor ethics, just to be cheaper and cheaper. And if we do that, we are going to be in a race to the bottom with crappy rubbish businesses and crappy rubbish jobs. So when I hear mooted suggestions for a bonfire of regulations, I have to say it makes me nervous. But that's my opinion. What is yours? You can get in touch. Please do send an email to jamie at sheffieldlive.org. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you think about what's going on in the UK right now, how it's impacting on your business or your social enterprise. We'd always love to hear from you. Okay, rant over. Soapbox put away. Thank you for listening to my ramblings. Let's move on to today's guest. We have a fantastic interview with a really inspiring guest, and she's talking about air quality. Quite fitting, really, given the rant, but um, how do we meet air quality standards? How do we meet air quality certification? And how her business helps organisations, cities and places to do just exactly that. This is an interview I recorded in August, ready for broadcast now. It's Kate Barnard here, an engineer who's set up Enjoy the Air. Let's hear from her now. This is Sheffield Live. We're open for business life. Thanks so much for joining us today. Enjoy the air. What do you do? We help cities uh, to achieve their air quality standards and avoid government fines. And we do this by looking at not only their policy, but the infrastructure around transportation and the behaviour change of us, the public. And that links together looking at the whole city as a system, an engineering system, as is my background, um, through health, air quality and transportation, whereas city councils look at them currently in silos. They're interdependent. Correct. Even if you look at the sustainable development goals, there are 17 of them and people will tell you which one they're looking at. Actually, air quality cuts across 10 of them. And if you look at them individually, you could succeed in one to the detriment of something else. So where's that sweet spot across them? And that sweet spot you're trying to hit that. Which cities are you working with or have you worked with so far? The company is actually based in Glasgow. So we do work with Glasgow Council. And we're now looking to work with Sandwell, which are a borough uh, containing six six cities, six towns, and also some boroughs within the London counties, London County Councils. And air quality is a horrific issue and it has these huge effects on quality of life as as well as on life expectancy what was it that led you to set up the business and when did the business formally launch 
one of the things that's fascinating about air quality is you look out the window and we're not a foreign country. You know, we're not a third world country that has lots of smog. And if I suddenly tell you there's poor air quality, you'd look at me and laugh. And yet where I live, I'm in the Cotswolds in a small town, 5,000 people, up a small lane, 14 houses, yet my annual average air quality is 9 micrograms per cubic meter. Well, what does that mean? Well, the World Health Organization wants it ideally to be five, probably going to settle on 10. And what the UK currently works to is 20. But they're about to change it under the new UK Environment Act post-Brexit. So we'll know in October. So now you're just saying that where I live in the country, you want all these London cities to match it. Now, I'm going to put that in a bit more context and tell you that Ella Adu Kissy Deborah was the first young lady who died and had air quality put on her death certificate. She was in Lewisham. They met the UK levels of an average of 20 micrograms per cubic metre. That makes it sound pretty close to home and like there's something you're fighting that you can't see. So one of the things I really want to be able to do is to try and get it a bit more visual to people. Because if you're running, if you're a jogger and you're running where there's 20 micrograms, that's like me picking you up and you being in Beijing or somewhere in India and things. And the impact it's going to have on you is not once fold, twice fold. It's quite a large magnitude. Yes. When was Ella's death recognised as to do with I think quality? it was, so she was nine. And I know it was in Lewisham in London yeah. in 2013. Good grief. So it's only relatively recently that it's been formally recognised as a contributor to deaths. Although scientists must have been aware for a very long time that air quality is so detrimental, so harmful. And you you mentioned that, um, sorry, was it five parts per million? Five five? micrograms per cubic metre. Micrograms per cubic Oh, meter. so all those non-scientists, non-engineers are going to go, huh? What does that mean to me? Which is really why I'd like something visual. You know, if you held up part of your phone or something and held it looking around you, you don't see that clean air. You see all these particulates. Yes. So where do they come from? Well, actually, in a city, it's made up of three parts. Everything is the factor of three. So mm-hmm. the topography, so are they, think Washington versus New York. Is it, nice. is it low and flat or is it a thin and narrow? Because that will capture the air within it. The weather system. Remember the days, you're probably the same demographic where you went out one morning and the Sahara sand was on your car. How did yeah. that happen? So the weather has a big impact on it. And then the bit we can influence. So we can influence the topography, but the transportation is more of an immediate behavior change. And there are companies out there looking at behavior change, but you need that infrastructure, that support system around you to mean if you make that mind mindset shift, that actually there is stuff there that you could get on. The buses work where it is seamless exactly as you want it. You're working to influence behavior change and influence whole system change as well. So on an individual yeah. level and on a system-wide basis, What's the timescale for you working with a, a city, with the um, cities where you've already worked with? How long do you work with them for? And then what then happens as a result of what you've done? The benefit for the cities themselves are I see all the cities as personalities at a party. 
you cannot go and dictate to them how to operate. They have their own modus operandi. What you can take are a set of guiding principles that you could overlay. So we're very much founded on science and my appreciation of how the academic research can influence industry is really important to me. So research we did with Strathclyde University, we have our set of guiding principles for cities. So looking at this personality at a party, how do we take that? How do we look at the way that the council is set up? Because sometimes the health people don't talk to the air quality people don't talk to the transport people. So how could we use the data that they all have and link it together? Now, integrating something sounds really simple, and actually it's not. So getting that first baseline is the key to it, because you also have to be careful of what you measure. Because if you measure something, someone will change their behaviour to make sure they look great in the measurements. But what behaviour did they do? So there is a, a case of trial and error. And then once you've got a stake in the ground, then you can go forward and look at the benchmarks thereafter. So to recognise and reward those that are striving towards or who currently meet the uh, air quality, we got finance from Swig Finance and the British Business Bank Loans and employed a company to write for as a certification. To put that a better understanding, think Red Tractor. If you go to the supermarket, someone has endorsed something. So this is taking uh, an audit that the councils already have to do, but they report back to the government, but they don't share with each other. So how can we create the community within a city, but the community within the country of city to city to city? Because ultimately it's taxpayers' money that's going to pay the fine, taxpayers' money that's going to pay to make these improvements. So how can we avoid the fine and make sure we make the right improvements? I see. Okay, and so the certification, you've developed that, and has that now launched then? Yes, that has launched. There are some cities that are eligible for it, um, but also we're now still waiting on the cusp of knowing what the fines are going to be from the government for those who don't meet it, and also what the new standards are going to be. When will you know what the fines will be and what the new standards Uh, will be? October. So they've had a public consultation, which closed in July. Uh, The point being put forward was this 10 micrograms per cubic metre. So think where I live. Um, And actually, we put in our voice back to it and said there needs to be something across the country because in the words of George Orwell and Animal Farm, everyone is equal, but some are more equal than others. That Could you realistically take what I have here and impose that limit in London? Their topography is already different. You know, I know that, let alone the transport and and then the weather. So that means that they would be forever striving to reach something that not even through marginal gains would they get there? No, no, indeed. And and then you enter a mindset of, well, it just becomes a tax now, doesn't it? So now I'm going to, why would I bother trying to do an improvement? Because I've got to pay the fine anyway. Yes. So you need something that's achievable as well as measurable. Measurable. And measurable in a way that what you're measuring doesn't actually mean people just change their behaviour in ways that actually don't have a positive impact. Achievable, pragmatic as well from what you've said as well in terms of realistic for different topographies. Um, But also it sounds as though by getting different departments, for example, of a local authority to talk to one another and um, see how the insights that you generate uh, intersect with one another 
you can affect realistic change in that locality. Is, is that correct, or am I putting words in your mouth? No, no, that is correct. Uh, also think of the age of people and how you could influence them, because we are of an age where we've been given stuff and and giving people stuff. I mean, I say to my children, mummy was around before the internet was invented. No way, no way was that possible. <laughs> and then I'm just thinking, what would life be like without the iPad? You know? And so once you've given somebody all this technology, suddenly starting to take stuff away gets really painful. Oh, so, yes. So seeing that full uh, behavior change, I don't think will be, I have a 10-year-old and a 16-year-old, maybe till they have children. Yes. Will, it, I, will you see it actually come all the way through? Um, people, the government at the minute has incentivized people by saying about electric vehicles. And I would suggest that the public see that as, well, there's, there's zero emissions. Okay, there's zero emissions, but there are particulate matter. They are the ones that are going to give you the asthma, the lung problems and things. Yeah. So the heavier vehicles and everything. And Actually, a direct swap, A, doesn't solve that emissions, the air quality issue. It doesn't solve your transport issue. No. You still have issues of where you get electricity from. Yes. And the big one they're not talking about is £37 billion a year loss in excise and fuel duty. And I, I know one of our radio stations tried doing a, a phone-in, one of our national radio stations recently, to mention about road tolling. Mm. That is a very emotive topic. It's hugely emotive because we want what we currently have, as you you mentioned, the, the sort of pain of loss or the perceived pain of loss of what we have greatly outweighs thinking about potential gains. So we're kind of quite yeah. resistant when it comes to be- behaviour change, I suppose. Well, there's an economic willingness to pay. Look at the prices of the fuel. Have any mm. of us driven less? No, we've all paid more. It, it's really interesting then. So when did when did you set up the business? You've talked about recently developing the um, the accreditation, the certification, um, but when did you actually launch the business? So this is a really interesting story because actually it's as a result of the pandemic. I took nice. uh, voluntary severance from a very large engineering corporate company, mm-hmm. and um, one of the things of being is to make sure that you remain match fit. So you, you, by that, I mean, you make sure you're aware of everything that's going on, but also that your name remains visible um, so that you don't lose that font of knowledge or your place in the marketplace. And as a result of the pandemic and things being on zoom, as opposed to face to face, my whole world suddenly became global rather than locked down. And so my business partner is in Brisbane, Australia. Right. Okay. And so we set up the business in December 2020. He came to me, actually, as he was very passionate and wanted to understand how to work with academia here because he had this idea and he could see the benefit of it. And that's how we linked up because of my links to academia into Strathclyde. And so the business was set up in December 2020. He and I actually physically met in 3D in April 2022. So you've been running a business together for a year and a quarter before meeting in person. Yep. And we have some interns actually who are in Nigeria. Yeah. Because they have very, they're political science graduates, computer science graduates that just have exposure to other businesses and outside of their working culture. 
another lady that works in the Philippines. And I, I think because we are all so disparate, we have worked so hard to just make ourselves gel as a team. And I had a beautiful comment from one of the guys in, in uh, Nigeria that said, Kate has worked so hard with this company to get to know us that the purpose of a true office has been met. Isn't that a wonderful thing to hear? That must be, you must be really thrilled to hear that. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I haven't met uh, Joni in the Philippines or Femi and Harry in, in Nigeria. But when I did meet Errol, my business partner, it was only height. Everything else was as expected. Right. It's just yes. a lot taller than I expected because everyone's right. this high. <laughs> yes, indeed. On, 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 on our little screens, it's very hard to tell. <laughs> so this is a truly distributed business. How many folk do you have working uh, with the business, in the business um, at the moment then, Case? So we have uh, quite more of a distributed network within Australia because mm. we have a business there as well now, because mm. actually the, the cultural differences and their change in political leadership means that you will see a big change, I think, in Australia yeah. now coming up. Yes. And that's quite fascinating. And those guiding principles work across cultures and countries. Now, that's interesting, because some countries are going to be more or less uh, at governmental level. Some countries will be more or less open and receptive then to this message. Um, but yeah. that actually informs, presumably, what you do worldwide. You can take lessons um, from... Yeah, the European Parliament are interested because they said, I know we're sailing away because of Brexit, but do we hmm. need to be that different? What are you up to? And they're intrigued to hear about the lessons from Australia, because Australia do road tolling. Yes. Australia don't have MOTs for cars because originally, I found this out last week, because they didn't rust. And that was the, the measure of seeing if a car was still a goer. Oh, that's amazing. I had no idea. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> so there are probably um, cars um, that have horrible emissions that you wouldn't yeah. want on the road, but they've got no rust, so they'll be all right. Oh, dear. So the one thing I think I would really like is the public awareness and how we all behave with hands, face, space. What could you have for three words for this? That people, you could get school kids and everything. It just becomes a mindset thing. Even if you did nothing else, just an awareness of it, I think would be a big step forward. And, and wh where would you start with that? Well, we got as far as sort of park, walk, breathe. Yeah. Um but there's too many connotations in them. So plug, you could plug in your car, you could park your car, but you could go to the park. Yes, indeed. It's indeed. quite a tricky one. And there's always someone else will see something through a different lens to you. That is a tough one. And I suppose if you are in a sphere which is both highly emotive, because there is a lot of emotive language used around this, unsurprisingly, but also evidence-based, and you're bringing evidence across disciplines together as well, then you are, you're in a position where you can simply say, this is what the evidence tells us. You as policymakers, you as city leaders, you as government need to go and listen to the evidence. You, you need to take that away and, and learn. Now, as a business, um, wh where do you see yourselves going do you want to ultimately put yourselves out of business by everyone adopting policy interventions which um which for example boost air quality or do you see this evolving and developing How, what, what's the sort of five three or five year plan there's two bits of it one is in the amount that cities can save 
I yeah. think there's a direct link to that. But then there are other ecosystems. So another big one is ports. So shipping mm. is becoming a very big discussion. And you could have the best energy source on ships, but they come into ports and you've got loads of cranes and, you know, all the dockland stuff moving around. And is that different for a small port to a big port? Mm. So I think there's going to be a lot of work. And also things like uh, bus stops and uh, railway stations, especially if you're a station underground tunnel type scenario. I'm thinking like Paddington or something. You know, there's not a through airport airflow. Okay, so plenty of scope there. And you mentioned finance to support you on the process of developing certification. That essentially was to help grow the business. Did you fund the, the actual startup of the business with um, investment, outside investment or your own investment? How, how did you get the business up and running? I think the colloquial term is bootstrapping. Yeah. <laughs> and definitely we are still on the bootstrapping. We are now part of a business accelerator in yeah. Edinburgh in Scotland with Geovation, which is underpinned by Audit Survey and Registers of Scotland. And would you recommend the concept of being part of a business accelerator to people in other businesses, whatever the industry? Oh, definitely. Because I think when you, whatever discipline you come from, when you have the idea, that is 1% of your overall business and you don't know what you don't know. And if I knew now what I didn't know, would I have done it? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's it's your the, biggest biggest the, learning point or you know most horrific mistake that you've made that you'd like to put your hands up and talk about or biggest well, learning point someone said to me the difference between an entrepreneur and everyone else is i do things that make my heart wobble i just carry on right one um the hardest thing having been in a world of engineers and engineering for 20 years I would say I'm very good in an engineering context. Talking to non-engineers and trying to articulate what I'm doing in a non-geeky way has been my biggest struggle. Yes, and one common to people who are exceptionally good at a very specific discipline um, and communicate wonderfully well within that discipline but it's getting that outside yeah (laughs) great i've been to some conferences and oh my i have been wowed by some of the presentations Mm. and also what people expect from a presentation is totally different because i would have been solving a problem and giving facts and figures and and building up to something whereas actually they want to be told a story yes they do i heard it at a finance conference i heard someone say it's stories and spreadsheets um, for investors, investors want to hear a story. They will back up their decision with the spreadsheet, but that will only just confirm what they've almost already decided to do based on what they've heard. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And a mechanical engineer, there's nothing that can't be beaten with a bigger hammer and a better <laughs> spreadsheet. Love it. Fantastic. <laughs> Get that hammer. So a bootstrap business, brilliant. And then you go to Swig Finance for... Um, investment to develop the business. Can you say how much you um, uh, asked SWIG for? Yes, £25,000 we asked for. And we were an anomaly to them because the normal business model is to take the money, invest in something and make a profit straight away. I'm thinking yes. someone who wants to buy a van, fill it with tools, go out and do some work, earn some money. The fact that we were going to take the money, 
build something and it was going to be over six months. So we had a gated solution and uh, about three or four months in between. So part payments of it. Right. Yes. But they then were happy with that approach. Was that why you approached them rather than a different different, uh, lender, a different finance provider? They're all underpinned by the British Business Bank, Mm. um, which are set up for startup loans for entrepreneurs and really, I think, are the go-to place for this in the financial, the percentage offering, repayment offering they have. And I have to say the support they have given me, knowing that I was outside their traditional process, has been unprecedented. They've been fabulous. Really good. That's excellent. And and so, Kate, in terms of the journey so far, it sounds as though you've come out of what we could say is a traditional environment in terms of um, working for a large organisation and taking that um, considered risk to do your own thing. Many people will find that terrifying. Others will say, well, if you had, say, the comfort blanket of redundancy, then it's a good opportunity to to do that. What would you say, though, to, to people who are thinking about developing their own entity, whether it's a business or a social enterprise, and they're sort of still holding on to that support network or that comfort blanket, that safety net of being employed by a large firm. Is it, is it worth the undoubted sleepless nights of worry about uh, being responsible for other people? Are you enjoying that? I think you make it akin to having a baby. Do you ever do a spreadsheet to have a baby? No, you do it and then wonder what happens. So I think you could draw a parallel with that, definitely. And I think people's brains are enabled to do many different roles. It is the cost to change. And this lifestyle um, change in circumstances afforded me the opportunity to do this. And that's not to say that I wouldn't have done it before. I just wasn't in a position financial wise and and lifestyle wise to do it. Yeah. It's still terrifying. I can tell you. (laughs) It sounds like it's making significant progress as well. Kate, um, what would you say if you had the ear of the new Prime Minister? What should be their biggest priorities in terms of areas in which you're operating? I think the biggest thing would be understand what you're going to measure. Again, because what you don't measure will drive a different behaviour. And it's all well and good saying one thing. Um, Also, look at success criteria are not equal for all the parties in the play. So someone may want to save money for the NHS, but to someone else that could mean you might need less doctors or less hospitals or something. You know, there's always more than one side to every story. So I appreciate the politicians make information sometimes on a lot less information than than we would like, but to try and understand as many perspectives of it as you can. And so you understand the impact of your decision and be politically agnostic, but Climate change is in this for the long term, but the success criteria for a politician is to be elected, which is a four-year term. So how do you make this politically agnostic in that it is a given? Anyone who is in um, in government, this is just, you just have to do this. It's yes. not about winning or losing. It's just a given. Kate, where can we find Enjoy the Air? It's your chance to give the website address. It is. It's a lovely website address, actually. www.enjoytheair.earth. And 
This has been absolutely fascinating. I'm sure that many listeners will have more questions. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I think people will say, oh, I haven't heard about stuff. If you look, there is no deficit of information. It is surrounds you everywhere. But actually cutting through it to find out the key nuggets, oh my, that takes a lot of time. So engaging with others who can cut through it for you or make it so that you understand. For people, it's the whiffing, the what's in it for me. So they want to know what the benefit of them making a change will be to them. And hopefully we can help all the different stakeholders understand that and why this is important. Whiffing, what's in it for me? You've got to have that in mind across policy change, across business, really. Kate Barnard, thanks so much for joining us today. Pleasure. We're open for Business Live. On FM Radio Online and, of course, wherever you get your podcasts, this is Business Live on Sheffield Live. 93.2 FM in Sheffield, sheffieldlive.org, and just look up Business Live, Sheffield Live. Jamie Veach on your podcast app of choice. That was Kate Barnard. She runs Enjoy the Air, a business set up to help organisations achieve and demonstrate that they achieve air quality standards. If you've just tuned in, catch the podcast. Talking podcasts, last week on the programme we had John Barson. He runs Vertebrate Publishing, a Sheffield success story, a producer of beautiful outdoor books. And he talked about the headwinds that are blowing in the direction of all businesses at the moment. But for a business like his, which publishes Books in print. Print has shot up in cost. How's that affecting him? How's that affected their decisions in terms of what to publish? Well, it was a really good, thoughtful interview with John last week. We had uh, plenty of comments about it. And I think if you're interested in books, well worth a listen to. But if you're interested in running a business and adapting to change, adapting to challenges, well worth a listen to too. Not just now, but of course that business has been going for 18 years. So when when John set up Vertebrate Publishing, there was no there were no ebooks, or very few ebooks. Ebooks were certainly not as universal as they are now. Amazon was not the force that it is now, and so on. Things have changed dramatically in his industry, and yet there they are. Going strong, winning awards for their business and for their authors as well. So I found it really interesting and I hope you did too. And if you didn't catch last week's show with John Barton, well worth a listen. Loads going on this month in Sheffield. So what have we got? Well, we've got a new exhibition at the National Video Game Museum. Takes you behind the scenes to reveal the art, the creativity and the people behind five UK made video games. That starts on the 14th of October, National Video Game Museum. Then there's Off the Shelf, the Festival of Words, Books, Ideas, one of the UK's largest literary festivals, local, regional and international literary talent and the arts come to Sheffield 14th to the 30th of October. Look up Off the Shelf. Then there's the No Bounds Festival, 15th to the 17th of October, coding, DJ workshops, talks, poetry, art. We have... Nightmare at the Farm, at Graves Park Animal Farm. Spooky family fun for Halloween, coming up 22nd to the 31st of October. Also, Peddler Market, well known now. 
celebrating, believe it or not, its eighth birthday this weekend, 7th and 8th of October. Great street food, craft drinks, music, art and more. Also, the Quayside Market is on tomorrow, the 8th of October at Victoria Quays. And then next weekend, Pollen Market is back at Castlegate, Sunday, the 16th of October. There's a Sheffield Beer and Cider Festival coming up. 19th to the 22nd of October and the Yorkshire Silent Film Festival 22nd and 23rd of October as well plus a wealth of events for Black History Month which takes place during October across the UK to celebrate Black History culture and heritage with plenty going on in Sheffield if you go to welcometosheffield.co.uk you can get find full details of events in partnership with the African Heritage Forum. We're open for business life. Okay, time now for some funding reminders. Last week I flagged up the Fair and Sustainable Economies Fund. Take a look at that. Look up last week's episode on the, well, wherever you get your podcast. Put full details of that. Also flagged up the Digital Innovation Grant Programme. And we also flagged up the Energy Scheme for Businesses. And warned about some potential scams. Full details on last week's show, including in the show notes links to the uh, respective websites for those. We're open for Business Live. Okay, that's nearly it for this week's episode of Business Live on Sheffield Live FM, online and wherever you get your podcasts. But a couple more events coming up in Sheffield for you if you're running a business or a social enterprise. These could be helpful. There's a Sheffield Forum live event coming up on the 12th of October. We flagged that up last week. Looks um, looks like another good event from them. Then there's an in, the networking event, the business networking event from Business Sheffield. That's back on the 13th of October. 5.30pm till 8.30pm at the, the Furnace in the heart of the city. You need to book or register through Eventbrite. So take a look on Eventbrite and you should be able to find that. But I'll put the details in the show notes. It's called Autumn Networking Event from Business Sheffield. Talking about Business Sheffield, they have a programme of free virtual business workshops for October led by consultants and business experts, tailored, they say, to the needs of Sheffield's business community. And those include business planning and marketing, creating a marketing plan, digital innovation, Canva, the design program, financial planning, accountancy and legal one-to-ones, startup tips and maximizing your website tips. If you want to find out more about those, then go to welcometosheffield.co.uk and look up the workshops, webinars and networking in the help for local businesses section you should be able to find them talking about going to events this week i went along to an event s and four c's a charity which has been going for 55 56 years here in sheffield and helps isolated and vulnerable older people and they invited me along on monday to the launch of their winter pressures service at glide house which is um, a gripple building and many members of the business community were there many of their volunteers uh, 180 plus volunteers helped them to do what they do uh, supporters and the lord lieutenant of south yorkshire 
was there, who's been a nurse for her entire career, along with the Lord Mayor of Sheffield. So they had a big turnout for the event, which marked the launch of this service. They have a brand new 4x4 to help them to get to and help uh, elder, older and isolated and vulnerable people and help the NHS get to them too. They also have an electric trike. Great event. And the work they do is so, so important for older people, for isolated people, for vulnerable people, and in terms of relieving pressure on the NHS. So it was really good to be there. We interviewed their chief exec, Mark Story, on the programme. That, believe it or not, was six years ago. Astonishing. What have you been up to this week? You can always get in touch. Put yourself forward to be a guest on the show, of course. Comment on what's going on in business or social enterprise. Tell us what you'd like us to cover on the programme. We'd love to hear from you. Email jamie at sheffieldlive.org. Some people end up on the show because they do exactly that. Now that's it then for this week's programme. Thanks ever so much for listening. Thanks to our guests this week, Kate Barnard of Enjoy the Air, for a really interesting interview. Thanks Sheffield Live for putting us out on FM Radio. And thank you to listener Oscar, who asked if we could play this particular track, which will play from Adam and the Ants as the show ends on FM Radio. If you're listening on, on the podcast, I'm afraid you don't get the music. But of course, you could always go and look up Ant Music or Kings of the Wild Frontier or indeed Dirk Wears White Socks. And I went along to Adam Ant gig in Sheffield this summer. One of several fantastic gigs already this year. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks very much for listening. Sheffield Live. Made in Sheffield. Made by you.